am sad that I'm not with y'all today, but I have a gift for y'all. So, I don't know if y'all know this, but every pastor needs a pastor. And I get to share my pastor with you guys this morning. So, I could talk about Pastor Dean for the next hour. I could tell you all the stuff about him that he pastors the fastest growing church in America three years in a row. He, there, There's all these accolades that I could tell you. But what I want you to know about him is when we started our church, Pastor Dean pulled me in and he's loved me for the last decade. He's helped me more than any man on planet Earth grow spiritually, physically, and emotionally as a pastor. And he's an amazing preacher, an amazing man. But the thing that I'm excited about you getting to hear is you get to hear from my pastor today, and it's the greatest gift that I could give you. So here's what I want y'all to do. I'd love for everybody to stand to their feet, and the way that we welcome people, I want y'all to go crazy for my pastor that you get to hear today, Pastor Dean Herman. I love you, Pastor. Bring it. Thank you, and you may be seated. I say all the time that I don't have a lot of pastor friends. And it's because pastors will come to me and say, oh, by, by the way, we weren't the fastest growing church in America. We were one of the fastest growing churches in America the last three years. So thank you, Pastor Mark. <laughs> Let's write that out. That's amazing what's going on at Five Point and Easley, and I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. But I'm also honored to be here, but I want you to, I don't have a lot of pastor friends, and here's why. Uh, pastor Mark came and spoke at our marriage retreat this past weekend, and, and uh, we're going to begin to do this a couple times a year. He's going to go to Five Point, and I'm going to come to Four Points, and, and, and just because he wants... the his church to know me, and I want my church to know him. But, but he shared with our, our people at the marriage retreat years ago. And he came to me and said, Will you, would you just begin to pour into me? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And they started the church pizza in, and about a year into it, he came to me and said, Pastor, I, we just can't get past 100. Can you help a brother out? Do you want the truth? I said, Mark, it's you. You're just not a very good preacher. <laughs> and, and he See, when I say that to a lot of pastors, they're done. They walk away. So now when pastors come to me and say, Pastor Dean, can you say, like, okay, do you want me to say what you want me to say so we can still be friends, or do you want me to tell you the truth? And here's the difference in Pastor Mark and the hundreds of other pastors I've been pouring into. Uh, he took it, and he had a desire to get better. So we watched his messages, and we began to dissect him so he'd become the, the preacher that he is because he truly does have a heart for this house. And he does have a heart for God the Father. So I consider Pastor Mark one of my dearest friends, and I consider it an honor to be at Four Points this morning. Now, as I do at Five Point every Sunday, are you ready for a word? Yeah. All right, okay, okay, now listen, is it okay if I challenge you? Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm going to come at you. So as I do at Five Point, would you repeat after me if you truly want to hear a word? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. allow me to hear this word so I can receive this word so I can live this word. And everybody said? Amen. Now, Pastor Mark had told me that you're in a marriage series, correct? That's not a trick question, correct? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And he said, Pastor, I want you to come and continue speaking about marriage in our series. I said, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to. He said, you know, what do you want to talk on? And I said, well, there's a lot of things in marriage that I need to get better at. But there's one thing I really feel like I'm an expert in because I've been married to my wife for 41 years, April 19th. 41 years. And, and, I, and he said, well, what do you feel like you're an expert in? And I said, sex. <laughs> I wish my wife was sitting there so she'd holler amen, but I don't know if she would or not. I think I'm an expert anyway after 41 years, okay? And, but here's the problem. With most pastors, they have a problem talking about sex. Now, your pastor is a lot like me, okay? I have permission to say what I want here because you're used to him. 
Okay, and when he went to five point, I said, say whatever you want, bro, because they are used to me. But some people are like, you're going to talk about sex in church. Oh, you can't do that. But God does. Who created sex? Not a trick question. Who created sex? God did. Who created sex to be good? God did. For some people, really good, all right? But for some, not so good. That's your problem. That's not my problem. So on the count of three, because I want you to feel really comfortable about this, I want everybody just to say, S-wordy church, all right? So we're going to say sex on three. One, two, three. There we go. How many of you enjoy sex? I hope you're married. Oh, I hope you're married, all right? Didn't want to set somebody up. All right. Every Sunday, five point, I say, who has their Bibles? Let me see them. Let me see them. Raise them up. Who has a Bible in the house? Okay. At five point, we really push people to have a Bible. Why? Because I believe God's people ought to have God's word in God's house. And I love this part of uh, five point. Just hearing the pages flip. Now, I'm old school. I know Pastor Mark uses an iPad, did a phenomenal job at our marriage retreat, but he used an iPad. I don't do that. I teach from the Bible, and here's why. I want people to get used to turning in the Bible. Because I, this is just, just my opinion. Our people in the American church are biblically illiterate. You're illiterate. You don't know the Bible. And if you don't know God's word, you don't know God's will for your life. And if you don't know God's will, you can't change the world for God. So I'm going to encourage you. Start bringing a Bible to church. Get used to flipping through the pages. But now, having a Bible is not the problem. How many of you have a Bible or more than one Bible in your, at home or somewhere? Right, right, right. Here's the problem. You just don't read it. You don't read it. So how many of you since last, since last Sunday, seven days ago, have read your Bible every single day? One, two, three, four, five. Five of us. Wow. Here's the same example I used in the first service. My wife was sitting right there. Right, right, right. You're not my wife, but that's where my wife was sitting, all right? Okay. <laughs> what if I went to Debbie, and I can't believe I did this. This morning I put lotion on my hands, and I took my ring off, and I set it down. Because if you put lotion on your hands with the ring, then you can lose the ring. And then we were in a hurry to get here, and I left my rings. So I always wear a ring. Don't think I'm not married. I am. 41 years worth, okay? But what if I went to Debbie and said, babe, took that ring off. I handed it to her. And I said, now, babe, I want you to understand something. We good, right? We're good. I'm not going to talk to you much. I'm not going to spend much time with you. I'm not going to support you financially anymore. If somebody brings you up in public, I'm probably going to be embarrassed about you and not say anything. And I'm not going to really hang out with you much. But we good, right? You know what my wife would say to me? I can't repeat probably what my wife would say to me. And she's a godly woman, all right? But isn't it amazing how God's people look a holy God in the face and say, you know what? I'm not going to spend much time with you. I'm not going to give you financially. I'm probably going to be embarrassed of you if I talk, somebody brings you up in public. I'm not going to hang out with you. Hey, but we good, right? It don't make sense, church. I want you to fall radically in love with Jesus and read your Bible and giving and serving and talking about him will come because you give to what you love, you talk about what you love, you serve what you love. We have a major love problem in the American church. Can I have an amen? amen? I want to see this place packed out with people who are radically in love with Jesus. And the reason it's not because we're not talking about him the way we should outside the doors. Now, let's talk about marriage. Mark, Pastor Mark and I basically are divided in one area of our life. I played on the 1981 national championship team at Clemson. I have an orange bowl ring. I have an AC, two, two or three ACC rings. Uh, uh, 
a national championship ring. And, and I've said to Pastor Mark before, you want to look at mine? Because you ain't ever going to see one as a cock fan. I'm just... <laughs> So we got this, it, but our house is, you know, our house is a little bit divided because I pull for a really good team, and he pulls. For, and I said, Mark, Pastor Mark, when you gonna walk from the dark to the light? He said, I'll never do it. <laughs> Sorry, uh, uh, but my house was divided where I grew up. My dad was as pagan as they came. My mom was as godly as they were. So I was brought up with a skewed perspective of sex. Open the drawer of my dad's desk, there's Playboy, there's Hustler. And he's like, get, get, read what you want, son. They didn't have internet and porn and all that stuff back then, but if they would have, my dad would have said, feel free. When I was 16 years old, went on a deer hunt, me and dad deer hunted all the time, went to a deer hunting trip, I think eight hours from home, and on the way there, we stopped. I'm 16. He took me into a whorehouse and said, pick one. There's seven, eight of them on the wall. All very attractive women. Wearing very little. See, but I'd already started dating Debbie and was already falling head over heels in love with her and said, Dad, I can't do that. Well, then, of course, the men who went hunting with us made fun of me, and, and it was just, but, 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 but it's that, I just want you to get, that's the world that I lived in, okay? And we have such a skewed perspective of sex in the America because so many are raised, maybe in that way, but also because so many of us like sex so much. Told you I played at Clemson for a reason. I grew up in a locker room. Uh, started playing football by the time I could walk. So played through middle school, played through high school, played at Clemson. Would have been in the NFL if God hadn't taken football away from me, but with a knee injury. And, and, and God had to do that because football was my God and God had different plans for me. Not even bitter about it. It's my own fault. You just got to listen to God and you'd be amazed what God will do for your life. <clears throat> but ladies, I want to talk to you for a second. You know the number one thing we talked about in the locker room was? All those years, talked about you. Now, I know you think your boyfriend would never, ever talk about you. Oh, boy, he talking about you. You see, because we brag about what we did to you. And this is a statement that I use at my church all the time that I need to say to some of you ladies in here. No ring, then there should be no thing. Now, I'm just going to call that thing, okay? Why would a man marry you? When he's getting everything he wants from you, and he ain't got to smell your stink breath of a morning, he ain't got to pay your bills, he ain't got to deal with you and all of your hormonal self, all he's got to do is date you, get what he wants, and then go home. You ain't going to get no ring. Because a lot of men today have begun to understand that a wedding cake is probably the greatest thing to stop sex in a relationship. And see, we're doing it completely backwards. Someone's phone's just going on me today. Tell him I said, hey. <laughs> so if there's no ring involved, ladies, don't give up no thing. And don't do it just because you want to get a ring, but do it because you claim to be a child of God. So I want you to understand that I'm going to talk about sex this morning, not in a skewed perspective that we usually look at it, but from the perspective of what God's word says about it. Now let me ask you a question. To the married people, is sex a major part of marriage? Yes. Okay, men, give me some stinking help up here, would you? Okay, should sex be a major part of marriage? Yes. Yeah, it should be. Yes, it should be. If not, we have a problem in that marriage. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Turn to the book of Hebrews. 
If you don't have a Bible, obviously you can read it on the screen with me. But there's just something about hearing God's people kind of walk their way through the pages of Scripture. Now, it is my belief that you cannot get what God wants you to get out of Scripture unless you know why it was written and who it was written to and what the point of it being written was. So, why was Hebrews written? Okay? Because we have Jewish believers in Christ. Remember, we've come in. They begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're saying it's not about the old anymore. It's not about the 613 laws in the book of Leviticus. It's about the new, the grace, the mercy, the blood of Jesus on the cross. And they'll come in and they'll tell people. So we have new Jewish believers in Christ tempted to forsake. Oh, oh, I touched it. Sorry, my finger hit it. I tried that, touched it one time at my church or two Sundays. I ain't smart enough to do that and preach both. I ain't doing it. So they got to do that for me. Thank you for fixing that. Hands stay awake. Jewish believers in Christ tempted to forsake gospel and return to Jewish religion. So they hear about Jesus, and now people are starting to say, no, 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 that Jesus stuff ain't right. You need to go back to the way that it was. So we have the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is all about proving that Jesus Christ is the high priest, that he is who he said he is, that he is the Messiah. So but then also you need to know who was Hebrews written to. It is persecuted Christians in Rome. So you go to Rome, went like two years ago, supposed to, in fact, your pastor's supposed to go with me this October if we get to go. You walk into the Roman Colosseum, one of the greatest things I've ever seen with my, my eyes. And I started weeping. Why? Because I could see the Christians thrown to the lions. I could see the Christians who were being used as toys because they were nothing but Christians. You walk through the city of Rome and you can see the light poles that they put Christians on and put oil on them and burn them to light the streets. You see the places that they beat the Christians just because they were Christians. Today, we can't get Christians to come to church if it rains on a Sunday. We can't get Christians to come to church if the government says stay home, but yet you, you do everything else in the world but go to church. Absolutely amazing. But they're saying, hey, you need to do these things as a Christian. And Hebrews ends like a lot of New Testament books end with some encouragement on how to live your life. So take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 13, and let's go to verse 1. What's this have to do with marriage, Pastor? Read it. Let brotherly love continue. Now, I know your pastor's told you there's three types of love. There's agape love. That is unconditional love. That's the kind of love God has for us. There's eros love. That's a sexual love. That's the kind of love I have for my wife. And then there's phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia. That's called brotherly love. Well, this is phileo. And it's saying, let brotherly love continue. So it's saying that we should love each other brotherly, because this is written to new Christians who are being persecuted in Rome. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now remember, now remember, Matthew 25, you have the final judgment. And in Matthew 25, Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. Sheep are over here, headed to heaven. Goats are over here, headed straight to hell. And the goats are asking, whoa, 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 why are we going to hell? He said, because you never fed me. You never gave me something to drink. You never took care of me in prison. You never gave me clothes. Like, we never saw you. He said, yeah, but the way you treat the least of these is the same way you treat me. You need to understand as a child of God, the way you treat people matters. Somewhere along the church, you think that because you got saved, you can treat people like dirt in the world, but it matters to the Son of God. So he said, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That's also referring to first-time guests. And I know this is a lot like five point because you're people. You see certain people come through a door and you say, what are they doing here? Uh-huh. 
I'll tell you what they're doing here. They're looking for a Savior. They're looking for an answer. And they see that Savior through us, and that's why they hate church so much. They got to do with marriage. It's just just got to do with being a child of God. Remember those. Go back to Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Just like Matthew 25 says. Remember those who are in prison. Why? You say, we think the Bible was written to the 21st century American when it wasn't. It was written to the first century Jew. And in the first century culture, when you went to prison, you didn't get three square meals a day, air conditioning, gym time, softball time, magazine TV time. No, you were put into a hole, and you were left there to die unless someone took care of you. I mean, I, I preached a bunch this weekend, been singing a bunch. I'm, my voice is going, but I got enough to finish, I promise. But if it gets a little raspy, just hang in there with me. Here we go. If you remember the apostle Paul in 2 Timothy was in prison, and he said, bring my parchments, bring the Bible so I can read it, and bring me my coat. I'm cold. Someone help take care of me. So he's saying here again, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are in the body. We, as a body of believers, should take care of each other. Not point our finger and condemn everybody the way that we do. Keep going. He said, let marriage be held in honor among all. Why would the author of Hebrews say, let marriage be held in honor of all? I'll tell you why. Because marriage is one of the greatest examples of Jesus Christ. Because, you see, we think of it in today's world. See, they knew the culture of the day. And then they had not a wedding day where men came, sat through it, said, hurry up and give us our barbecue so we can go. The women could treat every little thing to the poor bride's toenail paint. Which you ladies do, because I've sat by my women during weddings. See, but in that culture, it was a week-long festivity. And the way that it worked, listen, I didn't have time in the first service, but I'm, you're getting a little bit extra. In that day, the groom's father and the bride's father would come together. They'd agree upon a price. You know, three goats, two horses, bag of silver. Good, I'll sell you my daughter. Then the groom's father would take the groom home, and he would not let him go get his bride until everything was in order. You had to have your finances in order. You had to have your house in order. You had to have your job. You had to have everything in order. Then when everything was in order, the father's groom would say, now go get your bride. The best man would take a horn, walk through the street, blow on the horn, and then everybody would know that the groom was about to go get the bride. The day is coming where the father of the son is going to say, you got everything in order. Now blow the trumpet and go get your bride, which is the church. You see, it's a perfect picture, marriage today, of who Jesus is. So they're saying right here, let marriage be held in honor among all. Keep going. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. Why would it say that? Because God expects the marriage bed to be pure. What have we done to the marriage bed in America? Come on, church. Have we defiled it? And we got more people living together in the church than we do in the world, it seems like. And you're fine with that. It's not a problem. We got just as many teenagers having sex as we do married couples. And we're fine with that. It is defiling the marriage bed the way God created it to be. Keep going now. And let the marriage bed be 
undefiled. Listen, listen. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. We read that and we immediately say, well, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not going all the way. So I know he's not talking about me. Hmm. Let's not take America's view of sex. Let's take God's view of sex. Keep going. This is a picture of the city of Corinth in Jesus' day. Been there. It's amazing. Came in, saw the streets. If you look at it, it looks like a little Rome. Why? Because the Romans ruled the day when Jesus was there and then after, and they would come in and all these soldiers would come from Rome and they'd give, serve their 10, 15, 20 years, and then it would be time to retire and they'd want to go home. And they said, no, 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 let's not do that. So what they would do was they would build a Roman province. This is called a Roman province, the city of Corinth. And it looked just like a little Rome. And then they would live here and feel like they were home, but yet the Romans still had soldiers in a way to control the people. Paul, on his second missionary journey, Acts 18, goes walking into a city called Corinth. There it is. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, we see right here, he said, I wrote to you in my letter. You need to know there were really four letters to the Corinthians. Paul was there, 18 months, left, went back to Ephesus. While he's in Ephesus, he wrote them a letter, that letter. We don't know where it is, but then when the letter got there, they turned around and they wrote a letter back to him. And this is what the letter said. You're not going to believe this. All these people that you led to Christ and all these people who were coming to the church that you planted, they're living just like the world, but yet they're saying they're a child of God. Sound familiar? And Paul would come in, and I mean, this would take a set. He would say, everything you see in this Roman colony, all of these pagan gods, they're false. There's only one true God, and his name is Jesus. You see, when you get saved, read the Bible. It says that it changes us. And one of the things that it changes is it gives us the mind of Christ. It changes the way we think. Come on, church, are you with me? And Paul would come in and say, you got to change the way you think. Two things you really got to begin to change. You're used to being free with your bed, and you're used to hoarding your money. You've got to change this, and you've got to start to hoard your bed and start to be free with your money. Could I speak to the American church and say, if you got saved, I need to ask the question, why are you not hoarding your bed and being free with your money? But yet, we're good. We're good with our walk with Christ. No, no, I want you to look at how the Apostle Paul talked about this. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Keep right on going, guys. We're going to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Would you get Austin or somebody to get me another bottle of water, pretty please? And just set it right there. 1 Corinthians 6. And he's wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. I say this a lot at five point. It may be in a letter straight to the church in Corinth, but is it a letter straight to us? This is literally a letter written straight to the church in four point. Is this city called Sugar Tit? Isn't that what it's called? 
Okay, so this is a letter written straight to Sugar Tit, the Four Points Church. I love that name. I just think it's a great name. <laughs> like, I'm pastor in Sugar Tit. I just think it's very cool. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, and this is what it says. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. In other words, I can do all of this, but just because I do it doesn't make it helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be denominated, dominated by anything. Here's a great, thank you. Here's a great example. The phone. Is it sinful to look at the phone? But if you stare at it for 10 hours a day, dominated by it, is it sinful? And then you don't even have time to read God's word because you're worried about everybody else's word. You with me, church? Same thing. He's saying it's not that it's sinful or that it's unlawful. It's just become sinful in our life. Here's another great one. The same one Paul uses. Is food sinful? Heck no. No. Praise God. It's not. Is eating too much sinful? Why we got so many fat people in the church? Because we're dominated by food. Everything we do is surrounded by food. So that's exactly what he says. Read it. But I will not be dominated by anything. For food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Okay, you got to eat to live, not live to eat. And God will destroy both one another. Now listen. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Here's the problem in the American church. We do not know what sexual immorality really is. We think sexual immorality is going all the way. I had Miss Leah come up here last time. Can I borrow you for one second? What's your name? Hayden. Katie? Kate, come here, Miss Katie. <clears throat> I want you to think with me what sexual immorality is. It's what is called an umbrella term. Okay? And the word for it is pornea. Miss Katie, if I said, would you go get me something to drink? And she got me a glass of tea. Is that getting me something to drink? Yeah. Not a hard question. Yes. If she went and got me a bottle of water, is that something to drink? Yes. If she went and got me a Coca-Cola, is that something to drink? If she went and got me a Jack Daniels, is that something to drink? Yes. So it's an umbrella term. Pornea is the Greek word. And I ain't a big Greek guy, but here you need to know, for sexual immorality, and it's an umbrella term. Like, Katie, how old are you? Oh, no, you just want to whisper it to me? Okay, I'm a lot older than you. I'm a lot older than you, a lot older. You're, in fact, my daughter's younger than you. Come here. But me and Katie are teenagers. My wife taught me you got to hold hands like this, not like this. So we got to do it like this because my wife taught me, okay? <laughs> Katie and I are dating many, many years ago, okay? We're walking down the street. Is there anything sexually wrong with that? No. Back up. If I'm walking down the street as a teenager with some hot smoking blonde, do you think that I'm going, oh, I'm holding her hand? No. What am I thinking? What can I hold next? Okay. Is that wrong? Okay. Katie and I go have this great dinner, McDonald's. Great dinner, all right. <laughs> then we go to a movie. We go see Bambi, rated G. And I'm sitting here watching this with Miss Katie, and I got my arm around her. Is there anything wrong? What if I'm thinking, I can't wait to get my hand somewhere else? Is that sexual immorality? Yes, it is. Thank you, Miss Katie. Thank you so much. Now, what's your name? Travis. Travis, I need you to come here for a minute, please. <laughs> See, we think that unless we go all the way, we think if we touch certain things or put certain things certain places, it's not sexual immorality unless we go all the way. Come on, church. Am I being right? Am I being true? Travis and I, you, I got to, that's the way my wife taught me, okay? So Travis and I are walking down the street holding hands. Is that sexual immorality? No. 
uh, we've got a bunch of five-point churches in Africa. I'm going again in July. And you see men doing this all the time. Why? Because homosexuality is not a big problem in Africa. They actually find it to be sinful. <gasps> what a novel idea. You'll see men in Africa do this. Man, Travis, thank you. Mwah. All the time. Why? That's their culture. What did the apostles say to meet each other with a? We ain't going to do it. But he said to meet with a what? Holy kiss. So it's the culture. But in America today, when we see this right here, hold me, hug me, hug me like you mean it. Right. <laughs> when you see this in America, what do we automatically think? It's a, not a trick question. What do we think? Homosexuals. Thank you, Mr. Travis. Thank you for letting me borrow your wife just for a second too, all right? I get, is that your wife? Okay, okay, just I know, just checking, just checking. All right. hey, you never know in the American church anymore, right? See, we think that not thinking, just thinking about sex with someone else isn't wrong. I'm sitting at the beach, reading my Bible, drinking a sweet tea, get sleepy, close my eyes, open them. Hot Tomati knows there she is. And there's more butt and boob hanging out than I've seen in a week. Now, is it sin for me to be sitting there reading my Bible as she walks by? No. Are we going to be tempted? Uh, ask Jesus. Was he tempted? Is temptation sin? No, not at all. We're going to be tempted. Now, what you do with that temptation, so I'm sitting there reading my Bible, drinking unsweet, uh, sweet tea. Oh, my eyes, there she is. No, I got a choice to make. I can say, ooh, God did a good job. <laughs> God did good. Or... Good Lord Jesus, what I could do with that. Oh, what I want to do. Read my Bible. Is that sexual immorality? You're sitting at home, home looking at porn, pleasuring yourself. Is that sexual immorality? Yeah, it is. Ladies, you're reading them filthy, trashy novels that make me want to puke when I look at them, wishing that's what your husband was. Is that sexual immorality? Yes, it is. So what does pornea the umbrella term, cover when it comes to sexual immorality. Everything. You with me, church? Yes. That's sexual immorality. And in Hebrews it said, keep sexual immorality from your bed. So is porn with a married couple sinful? I've been asked this one million times. How many of you have kids? How many have kids? Oh, a bunch of you. Okay, okay. How many of you have grandkids? Oh, praise God, they're great. I'm telling you right now, if I could have skipped kids and went straight to grandkids, I'd done it years ago. Years ago. I got three kids. Uh, one is 40, one is 32, and one is 22. Then I've got four grandsons, 14, 10, 5, one and a half. Those four are much better than those three, I'm telling you right now. Skipped them in a heartbeat. All right. What was I talking about? I forgot. <laughs> porn, thank you. Porn in America. Thank you very much. That's all, that's all my brother needs every now and then. It's just a word. <laughs> Hi. My daughter is gorgeous. Has won beauty contest. Got it from her mama, I guess. But let's say that my daughter is still 18, 19 years old. Not married. Student in North Greenville. And Deb and I go to Outback. And we're waiting on Shell to show up. And, and she shows up. And there's a bunch of nasty men sitting at this table. And my daughter comes walking by who is gorgeous. 
and they say out loud, good Lord, you know what I'd like to do to her? I'd love to tear that button boobs on. As a father, what would you do? Well, I'm about to bust you in the face. But you know what I find amazing as as an American father, we say that. But then you ask God to look at his daughters with those type of eyes while you're pleasuring yourself, and that's okay. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but God's children are a whole lot more important than your children. But it's okay. You're good. Really. Because I know that when I got saved, I got saved. And it changed the way that I thought, the way that I talked, and the way that I looked at certain things in my life. You with me, church? But for some reason, you think because you raise your hand in a dark room, because you sure ain't going to stand up and let people know that you love Jesus, that you're good. And then you go live your life just like the rest of the world and you're perfectly fine. Wow. Wow. I don't know who you're fooling because it ain't God. Take your Bibles. Back to 1 Corinthians 6. And he said, the body's not meant for sexual immorality. Verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of prostitutes? Never. And why would Paul be sending a letter to the church, not the lost world, but the church about sleeping with prostitutes? Because they are. And they got no problem with it. What's changed? Keep going. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it's written, the two shall become one flesh. How do two become one flesh? Come on. It's not a trick question. I want you to say the word with me. How do the two become one? Sex. Do I need to do motions to show you how all the parts fit together perfectly? You got it? Have you ever wondered how all those things do fit perfectly together? Oh, that was God's design for a man and a woman. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, and not for someone who's not married. Not for middle schoolers, not for teenagers, not for college kids. I don't care if you've been divorced four times. God's word and God's principles stand true regardless of who you are and regardless of what you think. Keep going. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Listen to verse 18. Flee. What's the word flee mean? Run. Get away from. Flee from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It's an umbrella term. What's it cover? Everything. Flee from sexual immorality. Listen, listen. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body. Go read Romans 3. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. He hates murder just like he hates gossip. He hates thieves just like he does sexually immoral. But there is only one sin that God separates from the rest of all the other sins. Flee from sexual immorality because all other sins that a man commits are outside his body. And the reason he hates sexual immorality so bad is because you make the two become one. It's only sin that does that. But you're perfectly fine living a sexually immoral life because you're good with God. Come on, church, is that not exactly how we think in the American church? Keep going. And you know why a lot of you aren't talking to me right now? Because I'm talking to you. 
Listen to verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay. When you make your way through the Old Testament all the way to Jesus, the temple was regarded as to where the presence of God was. But then when Jesus died on the cross, remember what happened to the veil? Split in half. Because now who could go into the Holy of Holies? All of us could. Why? Because where was the presence of God now? You see, when you go to Israel with me, and I'd love to take you, been 10 times, supposed to have gone the last two years, haven't been able to go. You go, and it's amazing to walk where Jesus walked. But if you'd ever go to where Solomon and Herod's temple was, there are still their Jews today, and they're doing this. You've probably seen it on TV. It's called the Welling Wall, right? You know why the Jews are doing this? Because they're begging God to rebuild the temple. I can promise you that God ain't ever going to rebuild the temple because you know what the temple is? It's us. And the Spirit of God dwells inside of us, and we are the holy temple of God, and we think we can use the holy temple of God any way we want, and we're good with God. Really? Where'd you get this? YouTube? Because you look at it a whole lot more than you do God's word, it looks like. Come on, keep going now. Or do you know, not know that your body's the holy temple of the Holy Spirit within you? It's here. It's where the Holy Spirit is. That's where God resides in us. Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You're not about you anymore. You're about him. He paid the ultimate price so you could be called a child of God. That's what he says. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God. Come on, church. Glorify God. Where? In your body. So you think looking at porn, pleasuring yourself, is glorifying God with your body. So you think looking at her as she walks by, thinking what you want to do with that, is glorifying God with your body. You think by doing things besides going all the way is exactly what God wants. You think living together for five years before you get married is what God wants. No, what God wants is for you to fall radically in love with him and live according to his word. But now, the apostle Paul knew there was a problem with marriages. So in chapter 7, he keeps right on going. Let's pick it right back up. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. What's that mean? Remember, Paul wrote them a letter. What'd they do? They wrote another letter back. So Paul is now addressing the problems that they wrote about. And one of them was marriage. Not that there would be marriages in the church that have problems. It is good for a man... Not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now you could read that verse and go say, well. See, but what he's saying is, look, I'm a, I'm a missionary. And I'm traveling the world. And I'm being beaten. I'm being stoned. I'm being flogged. I'm being shipwrecked. And being left for dead. Being, and he's saying, it would be good for a woman not to be going along with this. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now listen, listen. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal, conjugal rights. Okay, do you know what that means? Man, let me help you just for a second. Uh, during sex, it ain't all about you. Uh, she deserves it also. For a lot of guys, it's, remember that song, The 60-Minute Man? Just because we've turned into the 60-second man does not make it right in the eyes of a woman, all right? They deserve, so it may, that may mean you've got to work at it a little bit harder. But the Bible's very clear. She deserves hers also. Keep going. Told you I was an expert on this. Keep going. Here we go. For the wife? You give her a wife? Okay. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Ladies, it ain't all about you. I love verse 4. 
For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. So I'll come walking through the house butt naked. Sorry for the visual. Sorry. sorry. And my wife will say, do you not feel embarrassed doing that? Uh Uh-huh. Won't you join me? I'm like, no, because you know what the Bible says? That everything you've got right there is mine. It's mine. It doesn't say, all right. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. I've had some women try to tell me, well, he ain't talking about sex. Really? He been talking about sex for two chapters? You think he just threw a verse in there out of nowhere and threw a curveball? <laughs> yes, he's talking about sex. And it says right there that your body is not yours. Now, if Deb was sitting there, I'd say this because I said in the first service. There are times that Deb says, I just don't feel about, good about my body anymore. Well, babe, you're 58. You ain't 18. Things droop. They fall. <laughs> now, women, a lot of you can get some of that stuff fixed. Those poor old men. But it's just the truth. But if you fall in love with a woman, it ain't all about what it used to be, but what it is. And I still love them just the way they are because they're mine. Keep going. And it goes on to say, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So when she says, are you not embarrassed? I'm like, no, baby, all 295 pounds are yours. It's all yours. (laughs) That's the way God created it to be. I love my kids. My son, who's 22, senior at Clemson, about to be married in June. And I'm like, oh, thank God, get out of this house. Kids are good. Now go make grandbabies for me. Just leave. Just leave. Why? I can walk around butt naked now again. Here we go. Keep going. (laughs) Verse 5. Do not deprive one another. Do I need to break this down in the Greek? You got this. When it says do not deprive one another, what's it mean? Don't deprive one another. It's not real hard to figure out, okay? Here's the truth. How many of you ever started a diet on a Monday? Because we all know Monday is the only day you can start a diet, right? How many of you ever, don't lie. How many of you ever started a diet on Monday? Okay, okay. I don't even eat breakfast a lot. But by 9 o'clock on Monday when I start the diet, what am I? Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, why? Because in our mind, we think if we can't have something, we want it. So if I know that when I go home, I ain't going to get it, you know what it's going to make me want? It somewhere else. Because we are creatures of, of wanting our needs met. If I go home and say, babe, you make me something to eat, and she says, no, I don't know what McDonald's is. Ain't a problem. Babe, you wash my clothes? No. Take them to the dry cleaner. Deb, you wash my truck? I'll get my truck washed. Deb, you mow the yard? She ain't ever thought about mowing the yard in 40 years. But babe, you mow the yard? No. I'll... I can have every one of my needs met biblically but one. But one. And I've dealt with a lot of moms, a lot of wives who have came and sat on my couch. I can't believe he had an affair. I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. Are you, I am so sorry. What was your sex life like at home? They look at me. When's the last time you had sex? Guys, I've had this answered. Ten months ago. I said, what? Ten months. Now, I'm not justifying an affair. Really? Ten months, and you're shocked why he did? When the Bible says, do not deprive each other. But now, this is what I've come to find out, ladies. I'm coming to your defense. Men, when I've come to find out my wife don't want to have sex with me, it's usually because of me. You see, when I'm a godly husband and a godly daddy, 
and I treat my wife with the love and the honor and respect that she deserves, she loves having sex. But when I'm a turd and think it's all about me, you see, men just need a spot. Women need a reason. They, men just need, you want to? It's on. Women need to be loved and dated and honored. Can I be honest with you? A lot of you fought to get your woman, but then once you got her, you quit fighting. A lot of times you got to fight for what you got just to keep it. That was too good for no one to say anything, but we'll just keep going, all right? What verse am I on? Pay attention so we can help a brother out. What verse am I on? Five. Good enough. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. No. Oh, babe, you want to do the wild thing? No. I guess we're going to pray. Come on. It's the only, the only reason the Bible says to deprive each other. Keep going. But then come together again. Listen, listen, listen. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Mm. Now, you have come to find out in the American church. Everyone is on the homosexuals don't go to heaven train. Oh, you get them, Pastor. Bunch of dang homos. Okay. Take your Bibles. Go back to 1 Corinthians 6. We were in chapter 7, just, just on the other side. Most of them don't have a Bible, so just read here. Chapter 6, verse 9. Again, the Apostle Paul talking to the people in the church. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What's the unrighteous? Uh, the people who claim to be godly but live like a bunch of pagans. You see, there, there is a three-step process in salvation. Justification. That's you being justified by the blood. The third one is glorification. That's walking into the glory of God in heaven. But then that second one is called sanctification, and that's on you becoming more like Jesus every day. And the way that you become more like Jesus every day is you spend time with him in the word and seek him. Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto your life. No, we just want the things added without ever seeking his righteousness. And it says right here, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Won't you read that and get off a homosexual's back? Do I think a homosexual is sin? And I believe the Bible and what it says about homosexuality? Yeah, I do. But I believe the Bible about what everything it says, not just pick one. Keep going. Do not be deceived. Neither. Oh, <laughs> what's the first one he lists? The very same thing that has taken over the United States of America. 70% of websites are pornographic, and the sex slave trade is bigger than it's ever been. And this country does not care because it produces money. Do not be deceived, neither do the sexually immoral, nor idolaters. What's an idolater? That's someone that worships an idol. Let's talk for a second. There's a lot of you in this room, you give more to Verizon than you do God. And you look at your phone eight hours a day, and you don't have a minute to look at God's word. That's called an idol, my friends. That is called an idol. If your house was burning, you'd grab your phone way before you'd grab your Bible. If Jesus Christ himself was to say he was going to show up, you'd rather look at Facebook than you would meet with Jesus Christ himself. That is called idolatry. Hey, you're fine. You're good. Don't worry about it. Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality homosexuality, same as women, nor thieves. What what percentage of you don't give God 10%? Hey, but you're fine. You steal from God. He don't care. 
nor thieves, nor greedy. You know the reason you don't give to God? Because you're so dang greedy. Keep going. Nor drunkards, nor revilers. Those people who talk bad about others. I mean, you'd never talk bad about others, right? I'm throwing it out there. Nor swindlers. You'd never make a bad business deal, would you? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this last verse. We'll get right close. And such were some of you. Do you hear what the Apostle Paul just said? You see, the things that I just listed who will not inherit the kingdom of God, the reason you won't inherit those is because this is what you are. And some of you used to be that, but you're not that anymore. The problem with a lot of people in the American church is you claim to be a child of God, but you're still the same exact thing you were when you said you got saved. Salvation brings change in your life. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I say this at five point all the time, and I'll say it here. If you claim to be a child of God, then live your life like a child of God. The reason people don't want to come to church is not because they're mad at Jesus. They're mad at the people of the church. We are the representatives of God the Father. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to be done. And I want to go back to where we actually started in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter. That's that letter that he wrote to him. Now listen, not to associate with sexually immoral people. <laughs> so sex is perfectly fine, but yet the apostle Paul is saying to the church in Sugar Tit at four points, don't even hang around sexually immoral people, but you're fine living that way. No, what Paul is saying is if you claim to be a child of God, but you continue to live a sexually immoral lifestyle, then you aren't what you say you are. And out of love, we need to make sure you understand that we're going to deal with you. And one of the ways we're going to deal with you is we're not even going to hang around you no more. Have you read the book of Philippians? It's all about joy, love, helping others. Have you read about Galatians? In Galatians, the apostle Paul, because remember, anything that ends with uns, Romans, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, it's all, Paul wrote all that. And in Galatians, he told Peter, you were eating with the Gentiles, now you're not. What are you doing? Get back with them. 1 Corinthians 13, we think it's the wedding chapter, love is patient, love is kind. No, no. It's how people are supposed to love people. See, but all of a sudden here, you hear the apostle Paul say, don't you even hang out with them. Why? Because they're sexually immoral. And they're saying they're one thing, and they refuse to turn from it when they're living another thing. Guys, don't tell me sexual immorality is not important because it is. And it's destroying the church today just like it was then. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world. Should lost people act lost? <gasps> yeah. Or the greedy. If 90% of the American church doesn't tithe, what's he saying we should do? Hey, well, you're fine. Don't worry about it. And swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone, listen, listen, who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. That is how important this is in the eyes of God. Father God, my heart is breaking for the American church because we believe one thing when in reality, it's another thing. Every eye's closed, every head's bowed. I'm gonna dim the lights. And guys, I need you to know, I don't wanna embarrass anybody in this room.
But here's the truth. A lot of you are dealing with sexual immorality. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to come up here and confess. But the first thing you've got to do between you and God about getting this right is to admit that the Word of God is speaking straight to you today. And I'm not saying you're having an affair. I'm not saying you're addicted to porn. It could be lust. It could be, I, I don't know. Because sexual immorality covers the entire umbrella term. Pastor, you're right. You're speaking straight to me today. God, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be pointed out. You're not. I've asked everybody in the room, band included, close their eyes and bow their heads. First service, half the people raised their hands. Pastor, you're talking straight to me today. I'm struggling with sexual immorality. If that's you, would you just kind of raise your hand real quick and put it right back down? I see you. I see you. Holy cow, I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Hands all across the auditorium. Hands down, hands down, hands down. Now let me ask a tougher question. Could it be the reason you're struggling with this so badly is because you've never had your heart ripped out and replaced with the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about sin here. I'm talking about flat out salvation. And your heart's about to beat out of your chest right now because God the Father through the Spirit is drawing you to come into a loving relationship with Him. Again, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. Pastor, I need to get saved. On the count of three, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. I need to get saved. Any hands? I see you. I see you. I see you. Everybody look at me. Look at me. Give me a little bit more light, guys, please. Several hands were raised. Before we go to the invitation, we're going to deal with that. Do you know who should be leading people to Jesus? Not the pastor. You know who should be doing it? You. You see, you talk about the things you love, and when you fall radically in love with Jesus, you can't help but talk about him. Come on, church, you with me? So I'm going to teach you how to lead someone to Jesus. It's easy as ABC. Admit, believe, confess. As I say these words, you need to begin to memorize them so you can change the world. But if you raised your hand and said, I need to give my life to Jesus, right there in the quietness of your heart, just repeat after me. Guys, you're not praying to me because I'm a nobody. You're praying to the King, Holy Spirit, King Jesus. I'm a sinner. I admit today that I put you on the cross. It is my fault. I believe that you are who you say you are. You are the son of God. You are the creator of the universe. You are the Messiah. And I confess today that I want you to be my king. Come into my life. I don't wanna to go to church. I don't wanna to go to heaven. I want a radical love relationship with Jesus Christ. Come into my life and change me. Forgive me. Flush this bat out and replace it with the Holy Spirit so I can be used to draw glory to you and your kingdom. Again, every eye's closed, every head's bowed. Pastor, I just said that and I'm in it and I just gave my life to Christ. If that's you, would you raise your hand where I can see you? I see you. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Everybody look at me, look at me. I praise God for the people who truly just gave their life to Christ. And when we start the invitation, if you would, I'm gonna ask if you would, just to stand up and go to the back and there'll be somebody to meet you. But for the other 50% of this church that raised their hands, we need to deal with this. And anytime I have spoke at high schools, colleges, conferences, churches about sexual immorality, people are, listen, listen, they're more worried about what man thinks than they are what God thinks. Somebody might think that I'm lusting. They know. Somebody might think my marriage is bad. They know. But I'm not having an affair. I didn't say you're having an affair. What I said was you're struggling with sexual immorality. It's an umbrella term. 
Everyone stand up with me, please. And my prayer is this, that if you're dealing with this, the first thing you would do is take a step towards dealing with it, and that's going to be to get out of your seat, come to this altar, beg God to forgive you, and begin to ask Him to give you the conviction and the desire to walk away from this and be the man or woman of God He wants you to be. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would begin to move in hearts right here, right now. If you raise your hand and you want to truly deal with this, come on, let's go. Make your way up here. Where is everybody? Come on, start singing, man. Thank you for being one. And when you get here, I'm going to ask you if you would. Just ask God to forgive you. Two people, really? When 50% of you raised your hands? See, what that says is you know that you're wrong, but you're not willing to do anything about it. And until you're ready to do something about it, you're not going to be the man or woman of God God wants you to be. love endure that Jane Crawl.